This is Patrick Henningsen, and you're listening to On the QT at 21wire.tv. Accessing confidential data. Patrick Henningsen, I'm your host of On the QT here at 21wire.tv. Thank you for joining us for this fortnightly podcast at 21wire.tv. And if you're listening to part one, uh, the first 30 minutes is free, and we hope you enjoy it. And if you'd like to hear the second hour of this 90-minute podcast, uh, we encourage you to subscribe and become a member at 21wire.tv to hear the premium content, the second hour. And if you do join, uh, there's a lots of benefits and access to other premium content, audio uh, and video, and a member's uh, newsletter exclusively for our subscribers. So uh, go ahead and check it out. We hope you will. Now, this program, this is episode six, and uh, you know, originally I had a whole U.S. elections program planned. I spent uh, many hours preparing for it. And events in the last couple of days have caused me to basically put that to the side. And uh, it is related, what we're going to talk about today, to the election, uh, very much related. In fact, uh, uh, intrinsically related. The subject for today, for this show, can't be any more grave. It can't be any more important. And uh, we do uh, resist... uh, fear-mongering, which is very popular in a lot of uh, quarters of alternative media, let's say. Uh, We do resist doing that uh, at 21st Century Wire and also here on this channel. Uh, But events are accelerating, um, and not in a good way, uh, specifically in the Middle East. And for anybody who follows world events, anybody who reads about it in history and, and certainly all the signs are when everyone speculates about a third world war that it would break out in the Middle East, uh, certainly the most contentious of all regions in the world, and uh, a tinderbox to say the least, uh, not just because of the sectarian uh, issues, but also this is where Israel uh, is as well, the most contentious creation of a country ever. Uh, And we have wars going on right now in Syria that are biblical uh, to say the least. So if a conflict of this magnitude that would draw in all the world powers and have geopolitical implications uh, right across the planet and perhaps trigger some sort of nuclear confrontation, certainly one would expect uh, that it would happen there or uh, on the border between Eastern Europe and Russia, that this would be the, the place where it all kicked off. And some very disturbing things have happened in the last two weeks. And we're going to discuss those today. The first of which is Secretary of State John Kerry. And if you listen to the Sunday Wire, uh, the last two episodes, you'll know that uh, we've been very critical of U.S. diplomats. And I use that term very loosely, diplomats, because they quite clearly they are not diplomats. Uh, Samantha Power, the United States uh, ambassador to the United Nations, you'd expect somebody with a little bit of uh, decorum and composure and uh, who isn't uh, shrill uh, on, on a world stage. Uh, but unfortunately, um, uh, we have exactly that in Samantha Power, 
who is a political appointee and is not an actual diplomat. She's a, a trained lawyer, actually. And uh, there's an event that happened on September 17th that's very well documented right now, although more or less blacked out in the U.S. media. And, you know, I'm here in the U.S. and I watch and monitor all U.S. mainstream news broadcasts. And you'd be very hard-pressed to find any serious discussion about what happened on September 17th outside the city of Deir Zor in Syria. Namely, the United States launched an airstrike, uh, not against ISIS, no, and uh, certainly not against its moderate rebels that it's backing. Uh, the United States launched an airstrike against the Syrian uh, Arab Army, which is the national military of Syria, and killed over 70 soldiers, special forces, I might add, and wounded a further 100. Many others might die uh, due to medical complications. And uh, the United States, uh, upon hearing this um, from Russia, uh, basically threw a temper tantrum at the UN. Samantha Powers walked out of the statement by uh, Vitaly Cherkin, the Russian ambassador to the UN in New York, a sign of disrespect and certainly not the behavior of anybody who might call themselves a diplomat. But yet this is what we saw. And what's funny about the U.S. airstrike that killed, uh, you call it a massacre because that's what it was, uh, ISIS, the Syrian army was holding back ISIS and as soon as the U.S. hit the Syrian army and wiped out that position, ISIS then advanced from the hills just away from that position. And the U.S. claimed this was a mistake. They hit the Syrian army by accident. Uh, the Syrian army had been in that position for quite a while. Uh, U.S. have satellite uh, information imagery. We're meant to think that they don't. Of course they do. Uh, they know exactly that position. It's well known. Uh, and yet they claim that it was an accident. And uh, you didn't get an apology from Samantha Power. What she did was shout at the Russians and blaming them uh, somehow, or made it sound like she was blaming them for what the U.S. did themselves. And why is this important? We, we spoke about this at length on the Sunday Wire radio show. And... But what, why is it important uh, for many reasons? Because one of the last things you have before war is diplomacy. And when your diplomats are not willing to be diplomatic, then you have a full breakdown in the process. And this isn't like uh, having a tiff at a corporate board meeting. The stakes are a little bit higher, and I don't, you know, I, I believe that maybe Samantha Power doesn't understand uh, the stakes, or, or worse, in fact, if she does understand the stakes, and she's still basically playing a pantomime charade in order to advance an agenda that has been laid out behind the scenes that the American public are not aware of, Okay. What do I mean by this? Let me explain. There are uh, people in Washington who are working with the military establishment. These are people in government. This might include members of the White House who are all part of the same establishment who already know what is going to happen with the U.S. military with regards to Syria. They already have a plan and beyond 
the obvious, which is to collapse and destabilize the nation state of Syria and enact regime change in Damascus, Assad must go, etc. That's obvious, but, but it's playing out and U.S. politicians like to play stupid with the public. Uh, they like to, they have such a contempt for the electorate now in the United States, and, and I will be very frank. This began uh, in a big way uh, under the Bush administration, the last Bush administration. This is when it became an open sort of practice, okay? Um, they had a plan. They had an, a plan to take down Iraq and a number of other Middle Eastern countries. Uh, this was uh, accidentally spat out by General Wesley Clark at the Commonwealth Club in San Francisco during a speech. It's very well documented. Many people have listened to this. Seven countries in total, including Libya, including Iraq, Iran, Syria. Lebanon is also on that list. Now that So there, there would be a plan in place in, in the offices of the deep state to uh, see what exactly we've been seeing unfolding in the last few years. And they have such contempt for the public that they will think that uh, either we're not aware of this or even if we knew, we wouldn't believe it. Okay, And they do rely on the media in order to manage public perception in that way and keep us busy and distracted with various things. Um, so there is, there was a plan for Iraq that is well known by now. Uh, there was a plan before the invasion. They made it sound like they had to invade because they had to get those weapons of mass destruction. Tony Blair as well. You know, we listen to these people. They've got so much conviction. You know, you you almost want to believe what they're saying because they really seem to believe in themselves. But what they are, they they are not being honest. Many of these people are pathological liars and have psychopathic tendencies. And this is why they are promoted into positions of power, because they will do what needs to be done. Okay? These executives don't really have any decision-making power. Well, they do, but they don't exercise it. If they do, it's usually for the wrong things or for trivial matters or to cover up things. Uh, you know, for instance, uh, the first executive order that President Barack Obama signed when he became president, believe it or not, in 2009, January 26th, I believe, the first thing he did was sign an executive order to seal, it's called the Presidential Records uh, Directive, I believe, executive order, to seal all his personal records, school records, college records, transcripts, applications, everything you can imagine, all personal documents. Okay, that's a fact. It's not a conspiracy theory. In fact, you can go look that up right now if you've got your Google at hand. What I'm trying to illustrate here is that when they do exercise their decision-making as ex chief, chief executives, um, it's usually for things, uh, for not, not, not for the right things or not for the important things. Okay. If this president had any leadership ability, uh, he would see what is going on and look at the behavior of John Kerry and Samantha Power. L lobbying false, uh, unsubstantiated accusation after accusation, blaming Russia for everything. 
totally spinning and mischaracterizing what is really going on in Syria, still calling it a civil war, when it is nothing of the sort, an insult to anybody who's intelligent out there, and this is what the U.S. administration is currently doing. They have a plan which they are trying to ram through. They have an agenda for Syria. And they think that you out there, members of the public, are so dumb that you think that it's just all happening on the fly. You know, one incident leads to another, and we have no control over this. Oh dear, what do we do now? Oh, look what the Russians did. Oh my goodness, we have to save the children. And the, well, let, me, let me tell you, okay, and I didn't want to wait till Sunday to say this, the war propaganda, talking up a war, they're talking it up on Twitter, the BBC is talking it up. Someone claimed on the BBC that Russia has killed 85,000 children in Aleppo or in Syria. I mean, they're making up numbers. You have fake videos, left, right, and center. You have the white helmets. This is a U.S., U.K., Dutch, European-backed, fake NGO, producing mostly propaganda, claiming they saved 60,000 lives in Syria, a physical mathematical impossibility. And what do they get? They, uh, the whole establishment, Hollywood, is backing them high-profile documentary released on Netflix, doing the rounds at the film festivals. They've been nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. This is basically a terrorist support group. There's lots of evidence out there of them with terrorists, with al-Nusra, with ISIS. Some of them, the same people torturing, uh, executing Syrians, Syrian soldiers, you know, gloating over piles of dead bodies. You know, this is supposed to be the Nobel Peace Prize winners. This will be the first time in the history of the Nobel Peace Prize. And, you know, the, granted, the, that award has become such a farce. There are so many war criminals and deep state actors that have been given that award who, quite frankly, don't deserve it. And now they're going to give it to a terrorist support group. I mean, this is really the cherry on top of the cake. But this is the times we live in. Absolute deceit, spin, and deception by the West. There's no other way to describe it. They're hell-bent on destroying the nation of Syria. And let's, let's... So this is what it is. Secretary of State John Kerry this week on Thursday said there is no point in pursuing further negotiations with Russia over Syria, uh, leaving the Obama administration with no backup plan and scrambling to develop new options to stop the mounting carnage. No diplomacy means the prelude to war. Okay, The U.S. are basically throwing their toys out of the pram because they are losing. They have spent all this money building up all these proxies, backing all these terrorist groups, creating all these fake NGOs, doing all this subterfuge, flooding the region with illegal weapons. Okay? I laugh at this administration. They talk about gun control and the need for gun control and oh, the violence in America. And they flood the Middle East 
with weapons, lethal weapons that are killing thousands of people, okay? I submit that the majority of people dying in Syria are dying at the hands of terrorists and so-called rebels. You want to hear a conspiracy theory? It's called the moderate rebel. Okay? The establishment has lost all credibility. All the establishment journalists defending this mythology of the Sasquatch, which is known as the moderate rebel, okay, have lost all credibility. And you see them on all the shows still trying to spin this uh, narrative that Assad must go and he's butchering his own people and all this other stuff. Okay, this is a war of propaganda waged by the West. The U.S. are in there illegally. They're losing. They're going to lose Aleppo. And now they're throwing a tantrum and they're accelerating their agenda. And what is their agenda? Is their agenda to confront and start a major international war? And why now? Why the rush? There is a timetable. You can hear it in their voice. John Kerry, we are, this is John Kerry, we are on the verge of suspending the discussion with Russia, Kerry said at a public policy discussion in Washington. It is one of those moments where we're going to have to pursue other alternatives for a period of time. What is that? Military alternatives? Assassinating uh, state leaders? What, what's the CIA going to be told to do? by the military-industrial complex and the heads of the oil companies. What instructions will be given to the CIA? Two U.S. officials said the U.S. was expecting Russia to... Uh, United States... Or, sorry. The U.S. officials said the U.S. was expected to inform Russia on Thursday that it was suspending diplomatic contacts on Syria, battening down the hatches... So given the collapse of a jointly brokered truce on September 19th and the latest uh, violence in Aleppo, uh, Washington's throwing in the towel because it's losing its stronghold. The terrorist stronghold is being lost, okay, which is eastern Aleppo. Not Aleppo. There's western Aleppo. That's government protected with 2 million people in it. The majority of Syrians are there for protection from the maniacs being backed by the West in East Aleppo. It's as simple as that. There are some civilians in East Aleppo, terrorists, families, other people who are trying to hold on to their properties, who are trying to hold on to their businesses, their flats, okay? People who sympathize with uh, the rebels, also people who can't leave because if they cross any of the checkpoints, they will be shot by the lovely, peace-loving moderate rebels okay how else can we describe this on Wednesday US officials told Reuters that Barack Obama's administration had begun considering tougher responses including military options to the Russian backed Syrian government assault of Aleppo they can't stand the prospect of Syria taking back control of its second biggest city. This is not a crime. This is not a war crime. Because if you had 20,000 terrorists in Detroit or in Washington, D.C. or in New York, 
and they managed to run everybody out of town and take over cities, do you think the government would just leave Washington, D.C. and say, we give up, you know, because some foreign power said that, that Obama must go, you know, these, these wonderful peace-loving rebels who've taken over New York and Detroit and Boston and D.C., you know, whatever, 100,000 of them, that uh, in the international community or the Western international community or some one, two countries say, Obama must go. What, what is the U.S. president going to pack up and leave? We're going to say, okay, yeah, you're right. We need a political transition. Sorry, the terrorists are here. We need to go. That's not how it works. What, what would happen is the president, be it Obama, Bush, or whoever, would then instruct the military and all the DHS and every other a- agency to basically de- f- seek out and destroy to eliminate the terrorist threat in those cities if that indeed were the case in the U.S. And I, I would venture to say any sane country would do the same. And Syria is no different. And if you're listening to this and this doesn't make any sense to you, then it's quite possible that you have been brainwashed by years of images and staged photographs and fake videos and uh, gushing documentaries and NPR broadcasts that are painting a fictional picture of a conflict zone in a sovereign country. And our Secretary of State, John Kerry, supposed to be the top diplomat, basically shuts down diplomatic relations, okay? That's a prelude to war. Why the timing? Why now? Well, it's pretty obvious. So it it, it gets better than that. So we have Samantha Power throwing tantrums. John Kerry throwing tantrums making false accusations, claiming that Russia and Syria did an airstrike against a U.N. aid convoy, which we debunked at 21st Century Wire, a total fraud on its face. I looked at all the evidence and so-called, you know, photographic visual evidence. Pretty obvious it wasn't an airstrike. You know, so I guess this is like MH17, another uh, false flag. Spun up by uh, the same people, although in in the case of MH17, it was the uh, Ukrainian, uh, the new Ukrainian government, which was installed by the United States, uh, and still th- that war is being fought in the in the propaganda theater right to this day. Last, uh, only a few days ago, some Dutch investigation was released, completely uh, amazing what passes for an investigation. The main witnesses are, of course, the Ukrainian regime, backed by the U.S., incredible. But, uh, so not an independent investigation, but this is what, this is what the U.S. has come down to. So what are, what is Russia going to do? Why the rush? Is it because of the elections? Does something need to happen before November 8th? I'm certain it does. And we're going to cover that in the second part of the show. Um, before that, let me let me play this. This is John Kirby, Admiral Kirby, <clears throat> sorry, Admiral Kirby at the U.S. State Department, uh, basically throwing a tantrum like John Kerry and Samantha Power. It seems to be uh, contagious in Washington. Here's a, supposed to be a, 
the spokesperson for our country's State Department, running press briefings, quite frankly, acting like, uh, I don't know, acting like he didn't get, he didn't get his uh, front row tickets to the Eurovision Song Contest and he's uh, throwing a tantrum. Listen to this, listen to this man. This is, well, I wouldn't say embarrassing, but I think, I think they're be- beyond that point right now. Listen to this. Express grave concern over what Saudi Arabia is doing in Yemen by hitting civilian targets there. Why isn't the U.S. cutting, threatening to cut ties with Saudi Arabia? We have, uh, the Secretary talked about this when we were in Jeddah a few, a few weeks ago. We have been honest with the Saudis about our concerns over uh, over uh, the lack of precision in some strikes. Um, and uh, and uh, we've talked to them about the importance of conducting investigations but saudi arabia is doing there what russia is accused of doing in syria so i'm no no how is that consistent (laughs) because what we're seeing the russians do and i would love to see you ask your government some of these questions you know russia today never does that you never poke and prod your own government but so every so so you so me when you want to evade a question. No, no, I'm not attacking before. you. I'm not attacking Aside you. From that. I'm not attacking you. I would just love to see your institution ask these same kind of questions of your own government. This is not the first time John Kirby tries to evade my questions by changing the conversation to RT. Is, hey, is it? I'm I, sorry. Should I, I not? I should may, I not ask? Uh, should I not be I asking what the what the U.S. Hey, assessment you, of you, Turkish ma'am, actions is? I'm going to take this one. Also, then I'm going to come to should you. I, can, should you I can, not be asking that question? Can, exactly. Which question should I be embarrassed about, sir? You can ask me whatever you want. I'm just stunned that you're not embarrassed by some of the questions you ask. And I exactly noticed, and which I question? That, I notice uh, that RT very rarely asks any tough questions of their own government. The U.S. strike that reportedly killed around 20 civilians in the ISIL-held city of Mom Beach in Syria, was it a mistake on Monday? That's another great accusatory question you've asked here. Now, that was John Kirby. Um, he didn't like the interrogation he was getting from uh, Guyana Ketchikan from RT. She's the State Department correspondent for RT in Washington. Uh, she's pretty sharp, pretty sharp, uh, followed her work for quite some time, uh, she's very sharp, very intelligent, um, a lot of, I wish there were more journalists who were that smart as she is, she knows how to ask the right questions, uh, tremendous, uh, White, Ho- uh, White House or Washington correspondent for Washington, and she made him very uncomfortable, and so he lashed out at RT instead, with the, with the usual trope, uh, why don't you ask these questions to your own government, etc.? And uh, if you look at the U.S. media, um, I've never seen a CNN uh, interviewer or journalist or anything or anybody in a White House uh, press. I mean, they, there used to be people that challenged the, the president. Uh, there used to be people that challenge. Kirby never gets challenged by any U.S. reporter sitting in that State Department press room. So what is he talking about? It's kind of uh, a ridiculous comparison he's making. Look at the U.S. media. Look how controlled it is. Kitted gloves when it comes to what Washington does, especially on foreign policy. You see, but Russia's there legally in Syria. They're legally there. 
by international law at the invitation of the government of the sovereign state represented in the United Nations, which is Syria. The United States is not there legally, not by international law. They're there illegally. They're being tolerated because everyone's afraid that they might just go and fast-track that World War III uh, if they don't get to hang around to make sure their al-Nusra terrorists and their ISIS fighters uh, are doing okay and working towards overthrowing or destabilizing Syria. That's why Washington's flying around. They haven't done anything to slow down or impede ISIS in almost two years. It's a joke, actually. It's a joke. It's beyond a joke. So this is what's happening in the United States. This is what's happening in the Middle East. This is what's happening in the world. And um, it's very disturbing. Alexander Dugan, uh, very controversial figure, absolutely controversial, um, gives nightmares to some people. Uh, He... uh, Liberals can't stand him, and neither can Glenn Beck. So Dugan said this week that uh, we're very close to World War III, and he says this has everything to do with the U.S. elections in terms of the timetable. So we're going to play Alexander Dugan's uh, analysis in the second part of this program. Uh, We're going to play that, and we're going to analyze it, plus we have some other uh, clips, uh, one from a British diplomat, a veteran Uh, diplomat William uh, Mallinson, which I'm going to play in that part too. And we're also going to go a little bit deeper into uh, this subject and get into the geopolitical stratagem uh, in the second part of this program. And uh, if you are a member, uh, go ahead and wait after the break. Uh, We'll see you on the other side uh, with the hour-long part two of this podcast. If you are uh, listening for free. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. We hope that you'll subscribe uh, and become a member at 21wire.tv. So for members and subscribers, I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. This is on the QT at 21wire.tv. We'll see you on the other side in just a moment. Tune in Sundays at noon Eastern Time or 9 a.m. Pacific Time for the Sunday Wire for three hours of action-packed talk radio on 21stCenturyWire.com and AlternateCurrentRadio.com. This is Patrick Henningsen, and you're listening to On the QT at 21wire.tv. Accessing confidential data. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host of On the QT at 21wire. TV. Thank you for rejoining us. If you're listening right now, you are a subscriber and a member at 21wire.tv. 
This is a very important podcast, and uh, we're, I'm very happy to have this conversation with you here on the other side uh, with our members and subscribers. And you can't get a more important topic than what we're discussing uh, in this program right now, and that is war. And admittedly, members of uh, the U.S. establishment don't have a lot of experience uh, with that. Not in a real way, anyway. I'm talking about the political establishment. John Kerry supposedly was in uh, Vietnam, supposedly saw some combat, although uh, it's hard to believe the way he's uh, carrying on. Uh, but apparently he was a captain of a swift boat or something like this. Not exactly sure what John Kerry saw or experienced in Vietnam, but certainly if there were any lessons learned about war, he's forgotten them by now. And he's proven to be... Uh, quite a, a useless uh, useless person in terms of his uh, ability to um, manage any uh, real international diplomacy and um, in, in embarrassment on many levels. And then we're asking ourselves, you know, where's the president? Where's Obama? Well, he's hiding. Uh, he hasn't really come out and shown any leadership on the Syrian situation. He's, he's leading from behind, apparently. We're told he's leading, but he's not leading in the front. He's, he's sitting in behind, hiding behind John Kerry and, uh, and, and Samantha Power and uh, doing what he does best, which is very little on the international stage, although he loves giving speeches in Europe and talking about uh, change and all this other stuff. Um, he'll be giving a lot more speeches after he leaves the presidential office. He'll be going around. Uh, as an ambassador of uh, peace, and he was given the Nobel Peace Prize, and before he even served his term as first president, he didn't do anything. They gave it to them, and they asked the Nobel Committee afterwards, why did you give the Nobel Peace Prize to Barack Obama? And their answer was, well, we wanted to encourage him to do uh, good things uh, when he was a president. I mean, kind of ridiculous. It's the first preemptive award in history, you know, it's like giving the MVP uh, trophy to somebody uh, before the game starts. You know, it's kind of stupid. It's kind of ridiculous. You know, and, and the fact that the media didn't call this out as as is patently stupid on its surface, uh, like they should have, shows you to what degree the media have coddled uh, the Obama presidency. It's never been challenged or held up to any real accountability. And when you have that situation, it does, corruption festers uh, in a situation like that. And I think we're seeing the result of that now, uh, a completely corrupt administration who's waging the dirtiest war in, the his, in modern history, uh, leading the war against Syria, arming uh, people who chop heads off, basically. You know, the most dangerous terrorist the world has ever seen. It's the most psychopathic, uh, real murders, okay? And all the while, they're trying to demonize the Syrian president as, as the next Hitler. It's kind of a, it's a, a farce, okay? And this is all driven by the media. It's managed by the media. Now, John Kerry uh, said the president has asked uh, all of the agencies to put forward options, some familiar, some new, uh, that we are actively reviewing. Oh, and this is the deputy secretary. This is uh, Antony Blinken 
told lawmakers on Thursday, without giving any details, of course. He said officials would work through these in the days ahead. So what are they going to do? They're, I, I know what's going to happen. They're going to uh, basically repeat the uh, U.S. massacre of the Syrian soldiers, which happened on September 17th. They're going to repeat it maybe once more, maybe twice. Hit Syrian positions. They won't dare touch the Russians. I'm telling you that right now. Uh, they, I don't think they'll do that. What they have done already is at least one false flag. If you count the fake chemical weapons hoax in uh, East Ghouta and Damascus in 20, August 2013, uh, this, that would be the second, the, the uh, UN air convoy that was supposedly the U.S. are accusing Russia and the Syrian Air Force of, of hitting in an airstrike wasn't an airstrike at all. Uh, that's been investigated, thoroughly debunked, yet they're still running around talking about it like it is total detachment from reality, but they know that the U.S. public are detached generally from, from world international events. Most people are more concerned with how their fantasy football team is doing on FanDuel uh, than they are uh, what really happened in Syria and what's all this business about the UNA convoy. They can get away with quite a lot uh, in Washington as a result. This is a sad commentary on American society that they, people really don't care. Uh, if their country is waging war around the world, they don't care. Syrians dying, Syrian people getting killed, they don't care. They'll just believe whatever uh, Netflix tells them, or the New York Times, or no, any other corrupt uh, mainstream media outlets. So, what? So, so they're cooking something up. They'll probably lay down an ultimatum to Russia, uh, saying that uh, they need to suspend operations. Um, stop uh, retaking imagine telling a, a government in a country like Syria you can't retake the city of Aleppo from terrorists you're not allowed to it's a war crime it's ridiculous I suspect that Russia will um, will tell them that their ultimatum is ridiculous uh, and the US will then be in the meantime be flooding uh, media and news with fake images fake claims fake atrocities, telling we must act now, we must do something, like they did in Libya. But this is much bigger than Libya or Iraq. This is much bigger. The amount of propaganda, what they've invested in the media campaigns, it's uh, immense. Billions and billions of dollars just in the propaganda. With Iraq, it was easy. They just made up this... Uh, fantasy plot that Saddam Hussein was harboring tons of weapons of mass destruction and and that was the media just took it and spun it up and, and here they're actually creating fake imagery and uh, you know tons and tons hundreds and hundreds thousands of fake images they're flooding it flooding the newspapers front of the New York Times USA Today CNN all the broadcast news networks BBC in Europe and and the rest and people are going for it, many people, because no one's asked to for any of these things to be verified. You know, what are you looking at this image? Is it real? Is it staged? Where is it taken? Is it in the place they say it is? Who are these people in the picture? None of these questions ever get asked. Nothing gets vetted. If it looks good and it fits the narrative, they print it. It's as simple as that. That's what we're dealing with. So, 
I'm going to play this clip just to cue up. We're going to listen to Alexander Dugan in a minute. Before that, uh, we want to listen to former British diplomat William Mallinson. And this is a segment he did on RT uh, just uh, today, in fact. Uh, I'm going to play this. Good analysis. By the way, this is a you know very respectable diplomat, British diplomat, who's clearly not on board with the program. Uh, listen to what he has to say. Is um, irresponsible uh, because Russia is still trying to achieve stability and peace. And it seems to me that everything uh, that the United States and its so-called allies have done since the very beginning has been what I would call Kissingerian double-track diplomacy. It was um, highly unprofessional, hysterical, threatening, tactless, and undiplomatic. It stands in direct contrast to the remarkable Russian restraint uh, by the likes of Lavrov, who's a seriously professional diplomat. It's extreme Cold War language. I think it reflects two things. First, the fact that the U.S. are losing. And second, uh, this is quite important, that the, there's an election coming up in the United States and the State Department um, is indulging in what I would call Billary Clinton electoral rhetoric. Okay, well, to, you know, a couple of points we'll take away from that. Uh, one is that uh, the, the, the sort of double-track diplomacy or Kissingerian, Henry Kissinger-style, two-track diplomacy. In other words, one track which is in public, at the negotiating table, at Geneva, at New York, that's the uh, diplomatic track for the public to see. And then the second track is underground. The second track is a covert agenda being waged through proxies, through gangs and counter-gangs, through death squads, in this case, terrorist groups, on the ground, illegal weapon shipping, etc. So you, they're, they're negotiating one thing over the table. The United States is doing something else below the table, which is completely illegal, not just by international law, but by United States law. Everything the United States is doing under the table in Syria is prosecutable by U.S. laws. It's in total violation of every single U.S. law. The government is in violation of its own laws. Isn't this an amazing situation? I'm talking about trafficking arms internationally to terrorist groups. Okay? This is why they still want to call them moderate rebels because if they can call them moderate rebels, then they, they won't be in violation of their own laws. But we know they're not moderate rebels, and that is the whole trick, ladies and gentlemen. Do you understand how serious this is in the big scheme of things? This is so serious, in fact, that you know everybody should be talking to all your friends, all of your family. You should be writing your congressmen and senators right now, demanding that this stop. This illegal enterprise that is going nowhere but World War Three. okay? We have absolute crazed uh, ideologues and psychotic corporate managers who, are, who have somehow taken over uh, the government functions of the United States and are running uh, not just this country, but would like to run the world into the ground uh, in order to meet whatever their sort object objectives are, their legacy objectives. Who's calling the shots? 
take take in take take a guess could be anybody could be a number of people rich and powerful i would say so they you know they they they're even dispensing with the uh illusionary aspects of this you know most people can see through it i think i think a lot of political leaders are so arrogant and so ignorant that they think that we don't know there are millions of people who know that the whole humanitarian human human rights the so-called american values international values is a fraud okay america is not concerned with democracy or freedom or human rights they might convince themselves they are when they're in front of a microphone but at the end of the day we all know and most american many americans know and and many more people around the world know that uh the U.S. are only interested, and the British, and all the Atlanticists, and the Europeans are only interested in their corporate interests, their business opportunities, the flow of gas and oil, and energy plays, power politics and geopolitics. This is what is driving it. it has nothing to do with saving the children in Aleppo. Despite what how, the the lengths that NPR go to and people like that. Or, or the BBC to paint this uh, so-called humanitarian disaster. They start the war in the West. They they arm it. They finance it, or they get the money from Saudi Arabia or Qatar to finance it while their operatives do it. So in other words, we're outsourcing. You know, Saudis paying for black ops carried out by U.S. agents and their proxies. Uh, that's not a conspiracy theory. By the way, that's a fact. New York Times published that. They didn't. They just buried it after that. By the way, it's out there, but they buried it. That would be a nice story to follow up on, wouldn't it, New York Times editor? Um, so, that's what's going on. I don't know what level of. Uh, it's it's gone some amazing scale of the criminality here. So uh, Samantha Power, what did she say? Said that, ooh, what Assad and Russia are doing in Aleppo is soul-shattering. Well, I'm going to say Miss Power, Mrs. Sunstein Power, uh, married to Cass Sunstein, by the way, Samantha Power. If you know who Cass Sunstein is, you will have a very wry grin on your face right now, but a little bit of sheer horror thinking about that one. Uh, she's saying that... Uh, Assad, what Assad and Russia are doing is soul-shattering. Well, I'm going to say that what you're doing, Samantha Power, is soul-shattering. You are, in, in, in my mind and many others, you are not serving your country by what you're doing, what you are attempting to do. The lies, the deceit, the twisting, the propaganda. If you don't know what's going on, I'm sure you do, then that means you must be doing this intentionally, knowing that it's a complete fraud. If you believe all those uh, white helmets, uh, photos and videos are authentic, uh, then I have a lot of, I feel sorry for you. So she goes on. She says, What they are doing is sowing not only the doom of this country, but it is going to generate more refugee flow, more radicalization, says U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. Power. What they are doing is a gift to ISIS. No, the United States uh, coalition has been the biggest gift to ISIS. That's uh, indisputable by now. 
And the thing that's causing the refugee flows, the thing that's fueling this war more than anything from the beginning has been U.S.-imposed economic sanctions starving the country of Syria, just like they did in Iraq. They're doing it again in Syria. So Miss Power, Mrs. P- Mrs. Sunstein Powers, is wrong. She is in a parallel universe, a world of her own. So, you know, someone, oh my goodness, they are really lost. And meanwhile, they're demonizing still the, the, the national pastime, demonizing Putin, blaming Putin for hacking into the U.S. elections, etc. Kind of ridiculous. But a lot of people believe this. Certainly there's people in Washington that believe it. Um, wow. It's amazing. Oh, here's a privy, official privy to the uh, administration, an unknown source, carrying the White House basically bet everything on the diplomatic track. And the assumption that Russian Vladimir Putin didn't uh, want Russia trapped in another Afghanistan uh, and would seek a way to avoid that. You know, the difference between Syria and Afghanistan is that, uh, well, in Syria, uh, Syrians have fought this war themselves and invited Russia last year to come and assist. That's the difference. This is not Afghanistan. You can't compare it. Okay. Very underhanded. Uh, very dangerous um, what they're attempting to do here. Now, I'm going to play you this clip. This is Alexander Dugan. Former, I guess, I'm told anyway, political advisor to Vladimir Putin. And uh, he's going to give you his analysis of of this situation um, after the U.S. airstrikes in Derizor and things just kind of fell apart from there. And Dugan's going to tell you what this means, what it means in terms of the U.S. elections and to how this is all lined up and synchronized. And, uh, you know, what is it Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton? Who is the harbinger of, of, of a major war? Well, according to Dugan, it's absolutely Hillary Clinton. And so maybe this is the plan. Maybe this is the plan. The plan is to start the war, elect Hillary, and then off we go into the sunset of Hades. Listen to Alexander Dugan. The point of no return has not yet been crossed. But did Moscow's reaction not show just how many Russians are ready for a direct frontal confrontation with the US and NATO? This was why the age strike was launched against Syrian army positions. The globalist US leadership obviously cannot rule the whole world. And what's more, the threats posed by Trump puts their control over America itself into question. Now, while the puppet Barack Obama is still in office and the globalist candidate Hillary Clinton is falling apart in front of American waters' weary eyes, is the last chance to start a war. This would allow them to postpone elections or force Trump, if he were to win, to begin his presidency in catastrophic conditions. Thus, the U.S. neoconservatives and globalists need war and fast 
before it's too late. If Trump gets into the White House when there will be peace, then there will be no such war, at least for the foreseeable future. And this would spell the end of the omnipotence of the maniacal globalist elites. Thus, everything at this point is very, very serious. Netta's ideologues and the as globalists falling into abyss need war right now, before the American elections. War against us. Not so much for victory, but for the process itself. This is the only way for them to prolong their dominance and divert the attention of Americans and the whole world from their endless series of failures and crimes. The globalists' game has been revealed. Soon enough, they will have to step down from power and appear before court. Only war can save their situation. But what about us? We don't need war. Not now, no tomorrow, never. Never in history have we needed war, but we have constantly fought, and in fact, we have almost never lost. The cost entailed terrible losses and colossal efforts, but we won, and we will always win. If this were not so, then today we wouldn't have such an enormous country free from foreign control. But in this case, we need to buy as much time as possible. The Americans have essentially attacked our positions, like the Georgians in Tsikhinwale in August 2008. Russians are under fire, and this cannot be ignored. Our reaction is extremely cautious and balanced. We have expressed what we think about this American act of aggression, but in the very deliberate terms. The fatality of the situation lies in that uh, if Washington decides to opt for war now, then we cannot avoid it. If they will insist and repeat the September 7th situation again and again, then we will have to either accept the challenge and go to war or knowingly admit defeat. In this situation, the outcome of the struggle for peace, which is, as always, fully in our interest, does not depend on us. We really need peace to buy time until November 8th, and then everything will be much either. But will the collapsing colossus allow us this time? All the best. You've been watching Dugan's guideline on the rapidly approaching war. God forbid that this happens. But those who could pray, prayed on the eve of the First and the Second World War. In any case, our goal is always and only victory. Our victory. The Americans have been bombing our guys. A third world war has never been so close.
very interesting uh, analysis by Dugan. I know his accent is uh, sounds a little bit funny. He's uh, he's a, he's Russian, but very intelligent, uh, very insightful. Obviously, he's looking at big picture stuff. Uh, he's looking at uh, real time strategies. He's looking at dynamics, and uh, some people think that uh, he's a uh, lots of things. He's been called many things. I find him very interesting and uh, definitely worth looking at and definitely someone to listen to and pay attention to what what he's saying. And the takeaways from that is, uh, you know, he says, we haven't yet reached the point of no return, but we have reached a climax of sorts. And I think you have to recognize that. I think people who, who aren't acknowledging that are really sleepwalking right now. And uh, I don't know what the agenda is in Washington. My guess is that uh, it's to escalate. Um, and I think it has everything to do with this election. Um, they are desperate, and I'll talk about this at the Sunday Wire this week, but I'll show you exactly how desperate Obama is that he's uh, campaigning like crazy for Hillary Clinton, uh, bullying people, telling people on, on national radio not to uh, vote third party. If they do, they're throwing their vote away. They vote libertarian. I mean, I've never seen this in history. No U.S. president has ever gone out and bullied voters. And this is exactly what Barack Obama is doing. And I lost even more respect for him when I saw him do this this week. I thought, you know, who do you think you are? This is not what U.S. president, this is not the job of the president. Your job is to run the country, not to campaign. And they must be feeling desperate. The party must be desperate, scared that Donald Trump is going to beat Hillary Clinton. You know, the most, you know, the... the, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> imagine you know she can't be that good or that popular if if someone like trump who's never ran for anything can beat her um and so they're panicking so what is the plan deliberately start a war step one step two uh hillary wins uh fait accompli uh military escalation global lockdown security lockdown uh shut down diplomatic relations a new cold war essentially uh, shut down access to any Russian media. They'll probably shut down RT in uh, in the U.S. and Europe. I'm sure they'd like to. Uh, Matt, and you know w- what's going to happen if Hillary's? You've got that going. You've got race riots. Uh, you've got a mass shooting every week. Probably that'll that'll happen until they till they ban guns. I guess. Um, I don't know what a Clinton presidency is going to look like, but it's not going to be pretty. I'll tell you that right now. It's not going to be pretty. So if Trump gets elected and there's no war, Dugan says, there'll be a period of uh, at least uh, armistice or peace for the foreseeable future. And the globalists and the people who back people like Obama and Clinton can't have that. That that cannot happen. There cannot be an armistice. There cannot be peace. They need a war. Why? Why? for all the things that we said in the first segment, but more than that, to divert attention away from all their failures and, and, and a whole category, a list of failures. Now, that's what it is. That's what it is. So, you know, if you're listening out there, if you're listening out there, this is very important. Realize what's going on here, that it has been pushed right to the limit. It is happening. Okay, very real. And they're doing it in the most deceptive, underhanded, sneaky way, dishonest way. 
and in my opinion, bringing shame to the country, shame to the U.S. Constitution, shame to the rule of law, shame to the American flag, shame to any idea of uh, what they call democracy. They're out basically causing havoc and chaos, arming terrorists all over the world, trying to start wars, ripping countries apart, killing and ruining people's lives. Okay. For what? They're not accountable. That's the problem. They're not accountable. And they need to do this before the war. This is a process because war can save War can save people from paying attention to the real problems. It diverts attention away from the epic failures. What is Russia's agenda? Russia's agenda is Russian interests. Okay. It does what it says on the tin. Not difficult to figure out. Shouldn't be difficult for John Kerry. Okay. Syria's uh, interests, they have interests as well. Syria has a right to exist. They have a president who was elected, who has an 80-something percent approval rate in his own country. What right do the U.S. have, or the U.K., or any other NATO member state, or Gulf state, what a, what a joke, uh, what right do they have to tell someone to leave power over, over uh, a trumped-up humanitarian crisis which was created by those same Western countries to begin with. Which is being exacerbated by those Western countries through sanctions, through trafficking, trafficking arms, to terrorist groups, breaking every law. That's what's really going on. Now I'm going to do something. I'm going to read something that to me is just excellent. And this is up at 21st Century Wire. This is by, the, by Jeremy Salt who's been a guest on, on my program once or twice, someone I respect a great deal. Uh, he's an author, he's an academic, uh, and quite frankly, he is writing with such clarity, such clarity, that I'm going to read this to you. And it's uh, it's chilling in many ways. But I'm going to read this uh piece by Jeremy Salt. It's up on 21st Century Wire. The headline is Syria's Bashar al-Assad is determined to hold his country together. Think about that for a minute. And Isn't that what you'd expect of any leader? Of any president? Certainly I'd expect that of mine. If what's happening in Syria was happening in the United States, I would expect my president to step up. And boy, has President Assad stepped up in the face of so much uh, spin, so much propaganda being laid at his feet. This is what Jeremy Salt has to say. The massacre of 106... Wow, (laughs) I guess he's got the updated numbers. 106 Syrian soldiers in a U.S.-led air attack brings the Middle East and the world closer to the edge of complete chaos. In Syria, if it can be torn apart, then why not your country? Why not mine? If Syrians can be killed so brutally, so casually, so dishonestly, so brazenly, so callously, 
then why not all of us? Why should our lives be sacrosanct when theirs are not? Good question. The policymakers in Washington organizing this destruction are not affected. Their wives and children are safe in their suburban houses, in their leafy streets, and they cannot imagine themselves or their country being sucked into the vortex of annihilation any more than Hitler did before invading Poland. We are back in the 1930s, and no one should be surprised if this situation ends where the 1930s ended. But the next war will not be here. It will not end like 1939 ended, because it will be a nuclear one, and those smug policymakers in Washington with their wives and children will be burnt to a smudge on the wall like everyone else, even if they don't have the imagination to see it, and clearly they don't. The fascists of yesteryear have resurfaced in the liberal democracies of today. The fascists wore uniforms, military jackets, belts, caps, black and brown. Liberal Democrats wore uniforms too, but they are gray or blue suits, white shirts, pastel ties. Fascists killed remorselessly. Liberal Democrats also kill remorselessly. The fascists tore international law to shreds. Liberal Democrats tear international law to shreds. The fascists lied as a matter of course. And the Liberal Democrats, they too lie as a matter of course. The fascist media trumped up lies all around the world. The Liberal Democrats media trumpets lies around the world. Our world order, law and order, is being torn apart by liberal democracies. This was made explicit by Condoleezza Rice during George Bush presidency when spelling out the national security policy of her country. She said that the U.S. would not respect the sovereign rights of countries where they did not deserve to be respected in the opinion and in the interests of the U.S. Well, the U.S. never did respect the rights of other countries. When it did, it didn't want to respect them. But there was uh, a reality being spelled out, arrogantly and openly, for the world to hear. Because in the 17th century, the Treaty of Westphalia guaranteed order in the European world. And still, the foundation of hope for global order was torn up in a second. We have seen the results. Countries destroyed and drone missile attacks ordered on the basis of an authorization signed by the U.S. President, Barack Obama. What international law might say is irrelevant because this is an exceptional state, the United States. Syria may as well not be a country with borders, sovereign rights, and represented at the United Nations by a government in Damascus. There, in fact, there might as well be, not be a UN as far as Syria is concerned. It has done nothing to save Syria from the tempest of destruction 
and everything to enable it. In the same way that the feeble League of Nations failed to protect the Spaniards, the Ethiopians, and the Chinese from the onslaught of fascists, there might as well be no international law as far as Syria is concerned. In parentheses, I'm saying they're on their own. The only country with the right to position military forces in Syria is Russia. And a footnote, Iran as well, and anyone else invited by the government in Syria. Self-defense. All the others are engaged in this tremendous violation of international law, the U.S. and its coalition. Even distant Australia was part of the air attack outside Derizor. The government apologized for the mistake and moved on, while the real story for the media was not this violation of international law, no, no, ending in the killing of 106 Syrian soldiers, no, but rather the domestic problems of Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. So in this story, my friends, the arch-villain is the United States. Its record as an international pirate is seamless. It lives in a permanent state of war with someone, as if this is an existential requirement. The wars began with the wars against the North American Indians, moved on to the next war against the colonial British master, and then the next war against the slaves, and the next war against the African Americans, and the wars exported around the world, etc. The list goes on, as if the territory of the United States was not big enough to contain its inherent violence, uh, as if the belt around a bulging waistline had not, had not been loosened. And then the wars got shipped to Latin America, Central America, and then to Southeast Asia, and now to the Middle East. Invasions, coups, assassinations, economic destabilization, sponsorship of theft, and the occupation by Zionist colonists of Palestine. In the past decade alone, the U.S. has torn Iraq and Libya apart. And now it's trying to finish off Syria. If, if this was foreshadowed, and indeed it was foreshadowed by the Defense Intelligence Agency's evaluation of that, the establishment of a Salafist state in eastern Syria would serve U.S. interests in the form of Islamic state. That's U.S. documents. This is what the U.S. now has, or is trying to build anyway. It was foreshadowed by Hillary Clinton's statement that if elected president, she would authorize direct military attacks on Syrian targets. Finally, after these threats, no one should be surprised if that's what finally happens. There's more to this story, ladies and gentlemen. Go, go up to 21st Century War if you can and read this fantastic piece by Jeremy Salt. But it really just brings together everything that we've been saying in this program everything I've been trying to explain to you. These are very important events. 
and in some way, after this is over, and who knows how far it's going to go, I hope it doesn't go as far as what's being described here or by Alexander Dugan. But I think people will come to realize that uh, in this story, in this narrative, in 2016, the United States is Nazi Germany in the role it's playing internationally. And so will the United States suffer the same fate as Nazi Germany did after World War II? Who knows? Who knows? We don't know. What do we really know? All I know, all we really know, is that what we're seeing now is uh, such a great deception. We're seeing our leaders act like impetulant children. It's, uh, I don't know, it's, it, it leaves you speechless. And yet there's so many sane people, so many informed people, so many people who see right through it. Millions upon millions of people that see right through it. You see, the United States cashed in all its credibility chips already uh, in the last presidential administration. And Obama was given a free pass because everybody believed that uh, he would bring change. They believed that because the Nobel Institute gave him a peace prize that he must be a man of peace and there'll be an end to the wars and he'll close Guantanamo and we won't have to pay our our rent anymore and everything will be free and we'll live happily ever after. But none of this happened. In fact, just the opposite happened. And looking back on it, you can see what a con it is. The ultimate con the long con, the eight-year con. And after this president leaves office, he'll continue to con the world as a man of peace who presided over the dirtiest, most violent, horrific, dirty war in modern history while hiding behind his Secretary of State and his UN ambassador leading from behind leading from behind that's the story of uh, that that will be the legacy of president obama a marketing sensation wow well that's uh that's the, that's our episode for this this edition of On the QT at 21Wire.tv. Thank you so much for joining us, and a big thank you to our members uh, and our subscribers. Um, you are helping uh, us move forward. Uh, you're helping us with everything that we're doing in audio, video, and also the website. Um, we've got big plans, and we're rolling them out slowly but surely and uh, step by step, and we really appreciate your support. And uh, I'm very happy. Uh, to have this uh, members premium podcast for you and uh, please tell your friends um, and do share uh, the first free bit uh, please share it on facebook uh, on social media 
do spread the word. Uh, we need more people to help and support us. There's a lot of things we want to do. And if you want to buy uh, or support us through Shop 21, we've got some great um, gifts and uh, great stuff, T-shirts, mugs, beautiful. Our new mug is out. So I'm plugging that because I think it looks amazing. But uh, go check that out. Any way you can support us, we really appreciate it. That's it for this edition of On the QT at 21wired.tv. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. Thank you for joining us.